everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel, we call the Marvel Mailbag. This is our 10th Marvel Mailbag, which doesn't really mean anything because it's it's not a measure of time it's not a measure of i don't know it's just like it's number 10 and, t- and 10's 10. cool i like i like 10 i don't yeah, want to distance cool any number. 10s in the listener audience mm-hmm. but, but compared know. to our other numbers 10 is pretty abysmal but that's just because we don't do this very often and if this were binary 10 would only be two. Oh no right i guess Although we gotta this, do more if this were hexadecimal 10 would be 16 and that means that we're actually more so that's where I'm hmm. going to lie. Hmm. Okay. Anyways, random, useless numerology aside, we are going to spend some time looking at your emails, your Facebook comments. Uh, basically, we're just going to have a conversation with Tim Price. And if anyone else wants to chime in, that's cool. <laughs> right. Um, I do want to start by saying, because I, I felt a little bad after last time. Why? But Bobby Bermea. Oh. If you are listening... I do hope that everything came out last time in the spirit that was intended. We disagreed with some of your points, but we were definitely not trying to come at you personally or make you feel bad. Hopefully that happened that way. That that said, you are officially our enemy. Yeah. Actually, Mike said he was trying to make you feel bad, but I wasn't. (laughs) So if you're going to have an enemy, go to his house. Oh. (laughs) My address is 555. Tony Stark. (laughs) You can find me at this really awesome mountain uh, villa. Uh Don't you think that they already all know where Tony Stark lives? I always wondered about that. Like, don't you know where the famous people live? We kind of know. I feel like you could figure that out. Like most, like if if they, especially if they have like a a hideaway house or something. Mm, Like everybody has the maps to the stars. So why can't uh, the Mandarin just buy that? Anyway, that's a whole different episode a whole other question Mm -hmm. so we're going to start out with tim price he had a comment on our website okay it uh is on the episode 81 for love not communism this is november the 2nd he says i think he's quoting we need a new weapon against democracy someone with the power to take down even the mightiest superhero capitalism can muster of course shooting ropes and walking on walls such powers would be unstoppable Poor He's Black talking Widow. about Black Widow. Yeah, right. I remember that. Uh huh. When she got her her uh, her overhaul <laughs> look, dude. It was early days. the The bar wasn't that high yet. No, she was just um, Madame Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and then she became like an actual <laughs> supervillain costume. But see, like in the early '60s, you could actually compete in the Marvel universe with that. Outfit. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't. And then the actual fight with Iron Man. Does she use her awe inspiring powers? No, she uses a gun. Money well spent on those powers, Natasha. Did we even (laughs) notice that? I don't think we did, but to be fair to her, she was given that crap. I don't think she bought it, did she? I don't Uh, know. Yeah, maybe. I I don't remember now. I feel like she was – it's been a while. I feel like she was in the hiding at that point, and she designed all this herself. Maybe she was was given it by her bosses. I think – yeah, I think she was back in Russia, and they were, like, suiting her up and making her demonstrate and stuff, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. Thank you for mentioning the B on her cape brooch pin or whatever. Just to make it better, I'm looking forward to her earrings having W's on them. But seriously, I tease Widow because these early years are pretty bad for her, and her later look is how I was actually introduced to her, which is awesome. I will patiently wait over here for you to reach those stories. Any day now. Any Uh, day now. It's going to be a while. 
Yeah, it's like if we reach it on this podcast while. <laughs> it depends on which costume he's even talking about for that matter. I'm assuming he's talking about the gray jumpsuit costume. Yeah, that's going to be a while because there's a blue yeah. there's a blue uh, one also between that, I think. But Well, okay, so I guess to me, the, the dark blue or black or whatever it is jumpsuit that she wears uh-huh. in the 70s is basically the same thing as the gray jumpsuit, just yeah. different color. Yeah, so kinda, it, yeah, that's the Bronze Age Black Widow that is, you know, so classic. When she's not just a vessel for, or, or a, a story plot for Hawkeye to pine over, basically. Which she doesn't even do that anymore now. <laughs> nope. Dude, when she comes back in the Avengers, my first thought's going to be, okay, how quickly are you going to ditch this Hawkeye? Because he is not good. Right. When she wakes up at the hospital and he's nowhere to be found. Right. And never even showed up. <laughs> where, where is Hawkeye? Um, I hope I, I hope somebody followed up with that someday in some sort of story where she's just like, remember that time I almost died and you just ditched me? Oh, yeah, that like, was not my finest hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Captain America and the Vision guy. I've never read the early Cap story, so I was floored to see this Agent 13, as I only know Sharon Carter by that name. Hoping to see more on that front. Um, I would say don't hold your breath on that. Yep. I think there have been like attempts to explain why that random World War II character was also Agent 13 mm-hmm. and to connect her to Sharon Carter in some way. Maybe she actually was Peggy, but I don't think in the all of the 60s and 70s cap that I read, it was never explained. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of like just theory, but no actual answers within the books. Right. Avengers and Wasp is dying, and only Lung Guy can save her. Oh my god. That's Dr. Lung Guy. Yeah. You poor guys having to summarize this story. I don't remember it well, and now I know why. Sheesh. I think I'll stick with the retelling from 2004's Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes miniseries. Hey, we did that. Yeah, where they cut out everything dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That was was good. (laughs) Where she's dying, and they're like, now that we've got the doctor here. Uh huh. (laughs) Let's not explain how we got the doctor. Right. They just called him, and he came over, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Until Karezi Kezar is joined by mysterious Agent 19. Make mine, make ours marvel. Agent 19? What the? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Kezar's stories. Or that's all new story for me. I suppose if there's a 13, there can be a 19. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are for S.H.I.E.L.D. Is there also 158, or is there only so many agents? Maybe a 1 through 12 at least. One through two. Or wow. is, is Wolverine number ten and Captain America number one? Oh no, that can't be. That can't be. <laughs> that that's unrelated. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, what's next? Uh, bouncing ball. Okay, bouncing ball. Tim Price, November 9th. We're getting there, guys. We're almost through the year. Strange Tales one thirty one. The bouncing ball of doom. I call shenanigans because Doctor Doom didn't appear in this issue at all. <gasps> oh my gosh. That would have been funny if it was like. Dr. Doom's bouncing ball. Uh, what's Funny more, or silly? <laughs> what's more? Well, it's already silly. What's more is if it had been the good doctor's bouncing ball, there's no way Johnny and Ben would have survived. Of course, the ultimate bouncing ball of Doom is happy fun ball. Do not taunt happy fun ball. And then he sends a YouTube video, which won't translate. Um, Dr. Strange on the run has really been excellent. That's <laughs> funny how he keeps saying that because he's not right. Sure. It has some sorry gaffes, like flying 1,000 miles in an hour. But I'm loving Strange showing he can slug it out, cast crazy magic, and escape spirit ninjas. It's a wacky nonstop chase scene, and it's awesome. It was awesome the first time. Uh, it starts out But then out it kept fun. going. Yeah, I remember liking it too at first, and then it just kept doing that. Um, FF number 37. 
to the scroll planet for Sue's wedding present. Revenge! Oh, man, I remember that story. Was it me, or did it seem convenient? Oh, the scroll that killed your father? Um, yeah, it's this dead guy right here. Oh, for sure, he totally did it, and not anybody else. So there's absolutely no reason for you super-powered hooligans to stay on my planet, destroying my empire or anything. So that's all settled, and you can leave. Bye-bye now. Right. <laughs> totally legit. Yep. Um, unless there's more than one scroll, Princess Anella, she's on the homeworld when Galactus arrives in FF257. Sad to say, it's not a happy ending. Usually when Galactus arrives, it is not a happy ending. I do believe that's the same princess. Um, I do remember reading about her being attached to that Galactus story, but I did not read the details. Well, the attachment is apparently she dies, but in that's a really what I'm going to that's what I'm going to guess anyway. Lord, the writing on Anel, Anella, Anelli, I can't remember. In this I was going to say Anel. Anel is awful. I just can't even discuss it. Awful. I don't remember. But yeah. Oh, you know what? I do remember. That's when they looked all like not scroll-like and were kind of weird and romantic. And In the funky. issue he's, uh, the old issue he's referencing, yes. Yeah. You know, from the artwork, I kept thinking lots of the scrolls looked more like Atlanteans, especially Morat with his mustache. Or is it a scroll stash? Is Atlantean. They do look like Atlanteans in that. Yeah, it was really weird offshoot. But then again, it's scrolls so they can look however they want, right? <laughs> uh, Spider-Man number 23, Goblin and Gangsters. I dug this issue a lot, so I guess Ditko's my man this month. Cool action fight scenes with Goblin. The mystery, the mystery continues. Clues appear and that hilarious bit of Peter calling Aunt May while in the middle of a fight. Fantastic. That was classic. That was cool. But I... Don't know if you mentioned the most important part. Peter was wearing different clothes. No yellow shirt, tie, vest, or blue blazer. He's got a black shirt, no tie, and white jacket. What is this? An audition for GQ? I Probably, don't remember that. Yeah, he, he was wearing a different outfit there. I don't think that was the one where he had like the hair shirt on. I think that's a later issue. Um, he's going to get a whole new outfit if he doesn't already have one. He might already have it. He's got like the, the yellow vest or whatever going on now. Uh-huh. So he's out of his blue suit. Maybe that was the chameleon. Uh, until the Green Goblin becomes the owner of the Daily Bugle. Make mine, make ours marvel. Yeah. I so bet I looked that, at that I looked at that video, the Happy Fun Ball. It is a Saturday Night Live sketch um, mm. with back from the era of Mike Myers and um, oh. who played Garth. Um, 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 shoot, man. That guy. That guy, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're Wayne and Garth. We're on my, uh, Saturday Night Live. And uh-huh. I didn't watch the whole thing because um, you were doing the thing. I wanted to listen to what you were saying. But basically, uh-huh. it starts out as this commercial for a boring, everyday, bouncy ball. But they're all super excited about it. Okay. It probably goes someplace more interesting. I just have not finished watching the video yet. Um, but that is from Tim. And he then writes an email about the Wolverine. Dana Carvey. Anyway, Dana Carvey. Yes, that I'm was going to so drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. He says, "I've only watched this movie once, and it was a while ago. So this is a good excuse to give it a second try. In spite of some of the problems, I enjoyed it a lot. An over-the-top Hong Kong kung fu adventure. That sounded like I was trying to make an accent. It was not. It just came out that way. Um, like that clunk sound when a thug punches Logan in the face. Awesome. I liked that because he's got a metal face, right? Mm-hmm. They've been doing that since the first movie." So about Logan's healing factor, I can see it totally working against radiation. If his body is actively replacing irradiated cells with new ones, that's not dissimilar to how the healing factor has been described in the comics. So it works here. But the thing I saw after watching again, his hair, all burnt off 
and grows back to how he had it cut. Does his body remember how he grooms himself? Shouldn't his beard and mustache grow as well with his hair? Or is this his default hair healing pattern? And nails and anything else that grows constantly? Like, I don't know. That's always been a thing. How does that work? Does he have to... Reset it is a, that or what? It, it's a thing about healing factor people and people and like when we get to the um, the second half of the freak story, whenever Happy Hogan just like grows his hair back in the exact same way that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever read any of Anne Rice's vampire books? I have read up to the one with the devil, Memnock the Devil, I think. Oh, after I that did. even a few after that even, but I gave so up. one of the more memorable scenes for me in the Vampire Lestat was whenever. Um, He's made his mom into a vampire. Uh-huh. And she loves it. She loves <gasps> right. being free of all of the the trapperies of femininity. She mm-hmm. puts on pants and a, uh, cuts her hair off. They go out and they have a time. And the next night, she wakes up and screams mm-hmm. because all she, of her hair is back. Because she has to be a woman still. Right. Um, but in that case, at least there's a rule. The rule is you stay however you looked when you died. Uh-huh. So, because there's other scenes in those books where, like, they're purposely going to create a vampire, so they make sure they shave really diligently and all that, you know, like, right, so there's, right. So there's no stray hair on you for the next eight thousand years. And um, not to get into any details, but there's a bit in True Blood where a woman is made a vampire before she's had her first night with a person, uh-huh. and so she has her first night with a person. There's the pain, mm-hmm. and then the second night, the pain is back. Yeah, so and she then can't course, have that book you know stays a little girl all that stuff so but how does it work with freaking wolverine who's not in healing factors right like at one point did his healing factor just go okay this is how your hair is going to be no matter what or what maybe you know what you know what it is i think he actually had like a regular you know joe chicken haircut and then whenever his uh adolescence kicked in and his Mm -hmm. healing factor turned on it morphed Okay. It morphed into that into that Wolverine hey, wing cut. Because <laughs> actually, the beginning of this movie, when he's living with the bears, his hair is all long and he has a beard. So, like, he can let it grow. Apparently, he just can't but cut it short. He just it just grows back short. Anyway, that's a lot of effort to try and figure this out. But there are no <laughs> rules for his nails or hair, I guess, or any other healer in the Marvel universe. You can None even whatsoever. apply that to like the Hulk or something. Like the Hulk heals if you hurt him really bad. He heals really fast. So how come his hair is always short? And yet in the future, when he's an evil Hulk, it's really long with a beard. Like how did that happen? That doesn't make sense. So our next bit of feedback is on the Facebook comments. So I'm going to go ahead and read that next. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a message we got from Tim Gogan. And Mm -hmm. he says, Hey, I know you guys will be soon covering amazing Spider-Man 26 and 27, the crime master versus the green goblin story. Will you be referencing Untold Tales of Spider-Man 25? There's something in that issue which plays off the end of that original story with regards to the Crime Master and the Goblin. Keep up with the great work with the show. I really enjoy it. So I wrote him back. I don't know the Untold Tales stories. I haven't read those. Feel free to write in and let us know about it. So mm-hmm. he did. He replied to the comment. Okay, Remember cool. in Amazing Spider-Man 26? The mm-hmm. Crime Master and the Goblin knew each other's secret identities. Right. Uh, and keeping each other's secret was part of their partnership deal. Mm-hmm. And at the end of 27, where the crime master's on a rooftop across the bugle with a clear view of Spider-Man, Jonah, and Foswell, and he says how this is his chance to get all three in one shot. 
Well, in Untold Tales of Spider-Man 25, which, by the way, was the last issue of that series, um, the story shows the Goblin tricking the Crime Master into believing he is J. Jonah Jameson and keeping his real identity as Norma Osborn a secret. So, Crime Master goes to his grave thinking the Goblin is Jonah. Oh, wow. So that kind of reframes a bunch of stuff in a way. Right? A little bit, a little bit. It puts the whole thing in a little bit of a light, which I I, I like. Because remember, that was the, that was the story that really played a lot with who is the Green Goblin. Could it be Foswell? There's no reason why it should be Foswell because of the continuity. But hey, well, forget the continuity. Could it be Foswell? Could it be Jameson? Could but you know, isn't this, doesn't the Crime Master now work for J. Jonah Jameson? Or am Foswell I getting that mixed up? J- Foswell works he? for Jonah, and he wasn't the Crime Master. He was the big man. Oh, that's right. Big Man and the Crime cr- Master are very much alive. But the Crime Master is dead now. That's right. Okay. I was going to say, Boswell your- thinks. Yes. I think you knocked your microphone because you're quiet. You're quiet. Hello, hello. There you are. Mm, that's weird. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Untold Tales of Spider-Man is one of those things I keep meaning to read. And I'm in my 90s Spider-Man reading, so I know I'll be reading it soon. But I should have probably read it a long time ago. <sighs> You'll get to every comic book in the universe eventually. If I live long enough, I certainly will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's next? Uh, do you have from Yellow to Red? I do. Tim Price, November 16th. Uh, Thor versus Absorbing Man round two. Wait, didn't Thor have 48 hours before returning for his trial? And Jane was passed out the whole time during the Loki fight through Thor returning? That's the fastest thing 48 hours I've ever seen. Wasn't there like a time freeze thing going on, though, or something? I don't know. There might have been. In the house. Wasn't that what he's talking about? I don't know. Anyway. I agree. Thor totally laid an amnesia kiss on Jane more than a decade before Superman 2 was even a thing. But that doesn't mean Superman didn't do it in comics. Did he do it in comics? Uh, Mr. I've read everything. Done, yeah, he's done amnesia in the comics. Okay, so Thor is just ripping off Superman still. Uh, Giant Man and the Green Ray. I'm sorry. I did read that story, and it was too bad to even care. Just nope, still don't care. I don't even remember that. Uh, yeah, I still don't remember that, and I'm looking at the cover. Uh, Hulk. Behind the iron drapes, I mean curtain. I keep looking to see if Black Widow is peeking from behind any drapes. I mean curtains, but I didn't see her. Sigh. (laughs) I don't remember that either. That must have been a really forgettable issue. So the bad guy, Konga Kong. I kept thinking of two things. The alien bad guy from the JLI, Manga Kong, who could put Stan the Man to shame in a slam monologuing contest. Okay. It's weird. I don't remember Manga Kong, and I've read JLI, I think. Uh... Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan was the second thing he thought. Shaka Khan, let me rock you, let me rock you, Shaka Khan, let me rock you. That's all I want to do. That's probably uh, a song reference. It is, I think, but I'm not sure how it goes. Until the Hulk is arrested for Major Talbot's by Major Talbot's nephew. Make my make ours more. All right. I didn't know Major Talbot had a nephew. Is he going to be? Is he going to be uh, romantically interested in Betty? Also, everybody is except everybody. except for when they are for Jane instead. Mm. That's it. All right, we have a um, an email, a proper email from Sean Urbanski. Ooh, yay! Uh, entitled um, "Episode 82" from mm-hmm. November 19th. Greetings, gentlemen. Wait, did this go to the wrong place? Yeah, really, that's weird. Weird start. I'm catching up on Make Hours Marvel. A couple of thoughts on episode 82 regarding the very human appearance of Anel and Mortar. I don't think we got his name in the story. Maybe we did. I immediately recalled Scroll Cree War, thinking Anel looked the same. 
So I dug out Avengers 94, and sure enough, while all the other scrolls are very lizard-looking, Anel looks adopted. <laughs> huh. a, hu- a human female with green skin. On to Amazing Spider-Man, I read ahead and also wondered if Goblin was influenced by the Joker. He's wow. always smiling, has a kind of uh-huh. goofy yet sinister uh-huh. face. Uh-huh. So he's thinking about from a design point of view, right? Well, I also feel like the vibe, because Golden Age Joker was always this dude in a lair. You don't know who he is. He's always cackling to himself. I don't know. It just feels like the Green Goblin to me. I get that. I can dig that. And the Green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really the green. enjoy Makers Marvel, and I'm reading along with Fantastic Four and Amazing Spider-Man. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sean. Just the two best books. Why don't you, like, why don't you like uh, uh, struggle a little bit and read the two worst ones, too, while you're at it? Get in the trenches with us, Sean. Yeah. Strange Tales and uh, what was the other one that we didn't like back then? Uh, Tales to Astonish, probably. Right? Yeah, Ant- Ant-Man, Giant Man, and Torch. Yep. Yep, yep. Those were our two, our two least loved of all time so far. At least read the Torch because if you're an FF fan, you have to like follow the nuances that was the Human Torch during that time. Very important how they tied, <laughs> how they tied all that in with the Fantastic Four. It's like a continuing narrative between the two books. You gotta. I know. Side you by you side. can't just read one. You'd be totally lost. <laughs> it's like Rick Remender's Captain America and um, Avengers. You had to have them both to understand it. Yep. Or John Hickman's anything. You have to have it all to understand it. <laughs> right. Um, the next thing is an email. Do you have the email from Bobby? Uh, the Vengeance of Thunder God? Yes. Okay. What's up, fellas? See, that's better. I've asked you before, and I'll no, no, no doubt ask you again. Please don't talk about ending this podcast. You have no idea how much I love it. This is when we get into the era of we're teasing about ending after 100, and people start to take us seriously. Right. I'm so sorry we gave you so many heart attacks, listeners. Uh, boy, we started that soon, because this is only episode 83. Uh, <laughs> um, the Journey into Mystery is one of my favorite Thor comics, period. Y'all need to put some respect on Crusher Creel's name. To my mind, the Absorbing Man is the greatest Marvel villain who's not an evil genius. He's just a straight-up thug who was given this incredible power. Not only does this power make him a match for any hero or teams of heroes, he's fought the Avengers solo and held his own. For a guy with no real costume, he makes for striking comic book visuals, and I would argue that's a primary reason for his attraction. And, of course, a guy like Kirby is going to go nuts with that, which he always did. I think we enjoyed the more recent Absorbing Man stuff a lot more than the first story. I think there's just too many logic fails with the first story. I think they still haven't quite narrowed him down to what I think of when I hear Absorbing Man. But yeah, of course, he's a great villain. He's one of the more popular ones, for sure. They confronted Odin in the last one. Although he didn't win, that still Mm -hmm. takes a lot of um, He took out all of Asgard. That's pretty cool. Um, You're not looking at the cover right. He's bigger than the cops because he's supposed to actually be bigger than the cops. It's not just a foreshortening error by Jolly Jack. Like later on when he's absorbing the earth and all that he actually does become that much larger. It happens a lot when he appears, when he absorbs different elements, his stature increases. And then the camera is behind Thor. So he's in our foreground and the absorbing man with the cops is further away. Episode 83. Now I need to see what we're talking about because I can't remember. While you're looking that up, I do remember what he's talking about. And I think I just hadn't put those together. Looking at the cover, in my mind, Absorbing Man doesn't grow. Now, I have not read a whole lot of Absorbing Man stories. Hmm. So Bobby's maybe speaking from a place of knowledge I just don't have. So whenever I saw him being a weird size on the cover, I was like, what's going on here? Because, of course, in the story, he does grow. Yes, he grows as big as a building or something. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole splash page on that. Uh, Also, why Thor can turn the Absorbing Man into helium? The Absorbing Man... 
right at that moment is in absorbing mode. He's absorbing earth, iron, zinc, whatever from the earth. I think Thor is just using Kirill's own absorbing momentum and catching him as he's transforming. That's probably I'm, no prizable. I'm down with that. That's why I think you should always have Kleenex, and then when he's there and he's fighting you, you just throw a Kleenex at him and he's done. Um, man of steel, absorbing man of tissue. <laughs> yeah. You know what he reminds me of when you say man of steel? Is he kind of right now reminds me of the parasite more than absorbing man in a way. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know at exactly least, what you mean. At least the ones from the cartoon, because I don't think I've read any parasite comics. but Because he's taking strength, not just substance. He's taking yeah. like, like the essence like, of your character. Yeah, like don't be anywhere near him, Clark Kent, because he could just get all super powerful and stuff. I um, really liked the the Parasite story in the Earth One hardcovers. That was really cool. I don't think I've read that yet. I've read the Earth there, One Batman, but not the Superman. There are three Supermans. It's a JMS trilogy, and it's really solid. Okay, cool. Uh, I first read this story when I was like nine in Bring on the Bad Guys, and it is absolutely still one of my favorite ways a superhero has ever defeated a supervillain. The idea that the God of Thunder and the Lord of the Living Lightning has control over the elements themselves made and still makes perfect sense to me. I wish they used it more often. The fire coming out of Thor's mallet doesn't bother me for the same reason. Uh, it's kind of funny how like I feel like Thor has a lot of powers they just forget about all the time mm-hmm. in, in favor of him just smacking things hard. So every time it's like, Thor versus this guy, and I think, um, yeah, he could just create a dimensional rift and kill him. Right. Whatever. <laughs> And I, I remember the first time, or maybe two times, I got to that absorb man turns into helium thing. Mm-hmm. I really dug it. I seriously dug it, and I, my memory dug it. This particular read through, for some reason, the scripting just didn't quite gel for me. So mm-hmm. I may have come down harder on that than it merited because I was being too analytical. Because it is a very memorable, memorable ending. He just absorbed man turned into helium and floated away. Yeah. Ugh, yes. Odin in this entire period is really obnoxious. This period? I'm pretty sure just always. Childish, <laughs> petulant, um, irritating character who you feel like would be treated like such except that he's all-powerful. Very annoying. Um, I'm surprised you guys don't like Loki's origin stories in Tales of Asgard, Tales of Asgard more. I read them in that self-same volume of Bring on the Bad Guys and loved them. By that time, I was long aware of the discrepancies between the comics and the actual myths, and that made and I had made my peace with them. Thor didn't have red hair or a beard or a cart drawn by goats or a short-handled hammer. And, you know, I was cool with that. Liked this better. Liked this guy better. Till next time. Yeah. I don't think I care. Do I care? Have I ever said I cared? I don't remember us coming down hard on the Loki origin, but I feel like he's not the only one that says that we did. So I feel bad now. (laughs) Every time someone tells it, every time someone writes in and tells us we were really sour on a story, I'm like, really? I hated it. I don't remember that. But yeah, maybe we just sound negative sometimes. Well, that's sad. That's not the show I want to be. I don't want to be the negative Nancy show. I don't think we're negative. I think we're just critical, which is kind of what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll survive. Um, I've got the next one. Episode okay. 83, Daredevil number seven from Bobby Bermeo. Uh-oh. This is really a heck of an episode. These are seminal comics in the Marvel Universe you guys are talking about now. They'll be coming fast and furious now, I would think. Daredevil seven is a classic comment. Again, read it as a kid, this time in Marvel's greatest superhero battles. Someone, somewhere, I can't find where. Stanley said something like, for a conflict in a superhero comic to be good, the villain has to be stronger than the hero. That's when genuine drama occurs as the hero has to figure out a way to beat a much more powerful bad guy. 
This is why I've never been a fan of Superman, the big blue bully. He's so much more powerful than everyone oh. else. How much kryptonite had to land on this planet anyway to give Lex Luthor and everybody else a shot? That's why at Marvel, when that character appears in surrogate form, such as Count Nefaria or Hyperion or Gladiator, he's generally a bad guy. Or even any alternate realities of Superman are often bad guys, too, for that matter. That's true. And the reign of the Superman, the very first Superman story from Siegel and Schuster, was about a super villain called uh-huh. the Superman. Um, and <laughs> let's be real. Man of Steel and Batman v Superman is all about them fearing that Superman might be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that he's more powerful than anyone else is part of what makes him cool, but it's also not why I read him, if that makes sense. Yes. Because otherwise your favorite character would be the living tribunal and he has horrible stories. Right. Well, it's like, okay, if you're in a river and you're drowning in a river, mm-hmm. you need somebody who is outside of the river and who has the tools and or strength to pull you out of the river. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody on your level in the river with you, they can't save you. Mm-hmm. And so Superman is like, he's the person who's more powerful. He's the person who can do the things you can't do to save you and to rescue you. He's a power fantasy. And I do love me a good Superman save almost more than I love. I think I'd rather watch a movie where he just goes around saving people than fighting a villain. But that's just me. I kind of like Superman saves. That's my thing. He's pretty cool. But that was a good issue. Other than the part where... They went too far with the court stuff. I like the idea of Submariner wanting to go to court. I kind of wish they were all just laughed at that and was like, that's not how this works. That's weird. And then they got into the fight, but they actually did go to court. That was kind of dumb. But other than that, I do like Daredevil versus Submariner. That was cool. Bobby says, so this story is a perfect example of that principle in action. You guys might think Namor wanting to take humankind to court is corny. <laughs> but when you're in grade school, you're like you were just saying, uh-huh. when you're in grade school, it's damned clever. I absolutely ate that up with a spoon. And Namor getting impatient with the wheels of justice grinding excruciatingly slowly forward. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I want to go full Submariner when I have to go to the DMV. And of course, I think we all want to go Submariner at the DMV. It's actually, it is a good concept. I think it was funny. I just, maybe because it, they had to fit it all into one issue. It just seemed really fast, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like if that could have been six issues of him trying to sue the United States, that would have been kind of fun. But, or two in, in, the, in, the, in the spacing. Yeah, or something. And of course, the introduction of the now iconic red suit. Daredevil earning the Submariner's respect just by being willing to get his ass kicked. And I had to hand it to Wally Wood. He made the fight make sense. Love, love, love that comic. It was pretty awesome. Um, I'm a fan of Daredevil getting his butt kicked, too. There's a lot of issues I can think of where Daredevil got his butt kicked, and they're really good issues. He's good at that. Yeah, him Daredevil taking a beating is one of those things that just seems to have like a lot of... Like, I like a good Spider-Man beating too, but Daredevil taking a beating feels even more interesting. Yeah. Um, we're on the Bobby trade. You got the next one? Uh, episode 85. Mm-hmm. I want to quickly see. I'm slowing the show down. Okay. I just like to look at the covers so I can remember what we're talking about. All right. Oh, yeah. We're getting into it now. What's happening, of course, is that Stan and Jack and Steve and the rest of the Mighty Bullpen are getting a handle on what they're doing. They're learning who the characters are and the environments in which they live and how they interact with those environments. And that is setting fire to the artist's imaginations. A great example is Spider-Man 24. Spider-Man is having psychological problems? Of course he is. This, to me, is why Tom Holland doesn't really work as Spider-Man. Oh, boy. That kid is way too healthy. He's never going to think he's nuts. I first read this issue in a Marvel Treasury edition, I believe, and I thought it was absolutely mind-blowing. A superhero on a psychiatrist's couch. I mean, picture it in real life. You see some guy in that getup, and you figure that's exactly where he needs to be. 
He's seen supervillains coming out of walls. You don't say. Okay, I think a 2020 story about any superhero who finds out there's somebody else dressed like him out in the world and decides he needs to go see a psychiatrist wouldn't fly. I also think that when he got buried in rubble, he got scared, which is which is a psychological damage thing. And I also mm-hmm. think in the second movie, in the very beginning, he had a panic attack when everybody started asking if he's going to replace Iron Man, and he ran away. So he's right. got psychological issues. He's definitely a little bit neurotic. Mm-hmm. I just we're not gonna we're not gonna see that story from Amazing Spider-Man twenty four <laughs> told in a modern context. It's not. Gonna you don't happen. know. That's gonna be Spider-Man three, maybe. All Maybe right. in a cartoon setting, but not live action. <laughs> Back in 1964, I mean, oh, he's this is in parentheses. Back in 1964, oh. I mean, nowadays he'd be on his way to Comic Con or a movie premiere or an audition or as exciting as the Fantastic Four 38 is. Spider Man 24 is my favorite, just for the sheer originality of the idea, or at least it felt original to me and so totally pure neurotic Spider Man. He also built a Death Star with Ned, so he's kind of nerdy. Anyway, yeah. quick note about Episode 84. These Doctor Strange stories are absolutely vintage. Perhaps the most amazing thing about Ditko and Kirby was the ability to make that which made no sense make sense. What is this eldritch energy that Strange and Mordu are dueling with? Does anyone know? But it makes sense within the story. This is Ditko well within his wheelhouse. I believe eldritch is just a synonym for ancient. Yeah, I tend to, I find myself kind of like, these days, especially kind of glossing over those those dialogue points where they're having a duel or something and they just keep talking about magic stuff that means nothing to me. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's true, fine. Okay, your your horde of whatever outdid his wand of whatever. I believe you. Eldritch, strange or unnatural, especially in a way that inspires fear. There you go. Yeah. Strange. How on the nose. It was uh, goes back to 1508. But we're huh. not entirely sure where the word comes from. Hmm. It could come from the Middle English word for fairyland, Elfreach. I think Steve Ditko made it up. He may have made it up in 1508. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if he heals like that, how come his hair didn't grow? Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. That email's November 30th. So we're going to hop back over here to the... To the website comment mm-hmm. place, but I lost my place. Hold on, click over there, click over there. Here we are. Uh, episode 84, the Naziest Nazi who ever Nazied. Mm-hmm. It's the debut of the Red Skull Kids. Tim Price writes, Strange Tales 132, Space Trap. These torchy thing stories have definitely been strange. And not Johnny burning through a wall and resealing it. Not having the teenager become an astronaut. Not picking the hero whose power is becoming a ball of fire to be shot into space in a confined space pumped full of oxygen. No. The strange part is, how many of these stories finish with a Ben-Johnny man-hug? Rolling on the ground, hugging each other and laughing. Should Alicia and Dory be worried? No, they should be interested in making it a foursome. (laughs) Or we should be happy that these two heterosexual males are showing love for each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... Which, you by the way, was show, probably the only good thing about the story. You can show love for each other without it being sex. Take that, Harry Met Sally. Doctor Strange disguising himself as a supervillain to get into his own home. Actually, to go back to that, I do totally throw the um, the gay detector every time there's any sense of affection between two people. So I get what he's saying there. Um, yeah. 
Doctor Strange disguising himself as a supervillain to get into his own home. Oh, if I had a nickel for every time I had to do that. Is the demon in there when you do it, Tim? I want to know. Is the demon in there? Like, skulking in your home? Anyways. Mm -hmm. Tim says, but honestly, as if that weren't bonkers awesome enough, Strange just decks the guy inside. I never realized Strange was so rough and tumble in the early days. I've seen it in the occasional later story, but didn't know how it started this soon. I didn't know it started this soon. As always, your show brings the learning. I like being educational. Mm Mm-hmm. Reed Richards must have taught him judo. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> also, didn't his hands get injured? Yeah, just, like, right. Reopening old wounds. I don't. I don't remember if they went specifically like as hardcore as the movie did about like his hands being just crippled. But yeah, right. I don't know. Well, even in the movie, he's got to make all those really detailed gestures to like you know Avatar airbend his magic. But oh well. But at least in the movie he talked about how he couldn't do it because of his hands and then the lady's like this guy doesn't even have a hand and he can do it. But like oh. in the comics they've never mentioned it again so far. Then I had a thought. Strange gave up surgery. Oh. <laughs> we should read ahead in these emails sometimes. Strange <laughs> gave up surgery because of his hand injuries, but now he just up and punches people. Even if his hands are healed, that would still hurt. I took Taekwondo classes in my 20s, complete with the board breaking. I have reasonably healthy hands, but I will tell you, hitting something solid with a fist is not easy. And if you don't do it well, it's going to hurt. Granted, Strange might be using magic to help, but I don't think they've said he is. Well, fictionally, throwing a punch is very simple, and knocking someone out is super easy with no lasting consequences, so... Yes, Beating somebody up never hurts the person doing the attacking. You just say, judo, chop, and you hit them really lightly and they fall over. Right. Unconscious. Now, in real life, when I get punched in the face, one, it hurts the person's hand, and two, it could give me a concussion or kill me or, you know, cripple my eye or something, break my cheekbone. But no. Not in fiction. Tales of Suspense 65, Cap and Red Skull was definitely interesting to read the story bringing the skull into the Marvel era. But Bucky's costume, that's the important thing. I always dug the contrast between his color scheme and caps. Red gloves for both, blue tops for both, opposite colors for legs and boots. It was burned into my brain from the first story I ever read with Bucky. Caps Treasury Edition size Bicentennial stuff. Special. Great stuff. So true. How dare they? But I believe we talked about that. We did. I don't think we. Uh, I ever picked up on the um, Cap and Bucky like parallel with their costumes there, but we did talk about the costume change. Uh, Iron Man versus Iron Man. I was stunned by this story. Of course, by how lax Stark security must be for this <laughs> chucklehead to steal the armor. But also by the parallels I found in the much later Iron Man 192. Rhodey wearing the latest armor, not Tony. Tony wears the older version to fight the newer version. The wildest part? The fight happens because Rhodey is having mental problems caused by the armor's interface not being adjusted for his brainwaves. And the schmuck in this story has a breakdown. Did this story lay the groundwork for the armor causing brain damage to others? Whoa! That's funny, because that was my first Iron Man comic I ever had, was Rhodey meeting the shaman guy from Alpha Flight. Is his name Shaman? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Shaman going in there and having this big, like, mental psychological lay down on this couch and tell me all your problems problem you know that was the whole issue was this psych trip to find out why he's having headaches and then it turns out no actually it's just because the brain waves things and he's going to go crazy but yeah but so I, like this the seed of that idea was planted here yeah so Rhodey was my first iron man how weird nice yeah. he was technically mine as well because the first comics i ever read with iron man in them were marvel superhero secret wars yep 
and he was not telling anybody that he wasn't Stark under there. Right. right? So it's like a, yeah. it's like a couple of uh, thought balloons, and that's it. Uh-huh. I didn't really get it at the time. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Another delightful episode, as always, until the Torch gets a job as a firefighter, make mine make ours Marvel. Does he really? That's silly. Well, that actually is a great job for him because he just twinkles his fingers and the fire goes out. He goes, slurp. You got the next one? Nick Poncio? Uh, there is another comment oh. from Tim Price called oh, uh, episode 85. I don't have that. Oh, well, then I'll just keep reading. Okay. Tim Price writes about Tim Fa- Team Fan- Tim Fantastic. Tim Fantastic versus Tim Frightful. Or is it Frightful Tim? FF38 versus the Purple. I mean, Frightful 4. The Fantastic Four versus the Purple Four. Hey, at least they're not green. John's take that Medusa is being sarcastic to the rest of the Fright Four is perfect. Especially if you try to sound like the Queen of England, where it's a mixture of dignified and haughty. So it can easily sound either sincere or sarcastic, but the listener can't be sure which. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. I love it. The issue is pretty great and an amazing ending. Based on your comments, I'm looking forward to the following issues even more. I hope they held up for you, Tim. Yeah, they did for us. Avengers 15. I have a semi-serious question. Okay. Maybe you've discussed it before and I missed it. Is Cap suffering from PTSD? Let me read the rest of his thoughts on it, then we can talk about it. Okay. The, the extreme mood swings, reliving traumatic moments, mistaking Rick for Bucky, fallen war buddy. From things I've heard, these symptoms would be right in line with PTSD, although called shell shock at this time. I also would doubt that there is the intention of Stan and uh, Dawn. It just reads much like soap opera drama. But boy, the PTSD angle would make so much sense. What are your thoughts, Catboy? Catman? Whoever you are. I don't think anybody's ever officially done that that I can think of, Mm -hmm. but it's not a horrible idea. Or you could also, at least with the whole mistaking Bucky and Rick thing, you could also pass it off to, you know, spending 20 years as a capsicle could screw you up a little bit for a while. Yeah. Um, I think I would like it to be some blend of those two. Mm -hmm. Um, A PTSD that he's eventually able to cope with and adjust with and, and get past maybe. I don't... I never had crippling PTSD, so I don't know if that is possible. And I don't want to downplay anybody's situation out there. But if it's possible that um, PTSD, PTSD can manifest in a temporary sense and maybe brought on by both memories and his capsicleness. Yeah, I would prefer to not get too realistic about his World War II time. Like, it's more fun for it to be kind of romantical and superhero-y. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could go, you could get really deep in there and really have him see horrible atrocities, atrocities and stuff. But it's like, eh, I don't know, that kind of, that's for other characters, maybe. I mean, certainly there are stories out there that at least treat it like PTSD symptoms, even if they don't put that label on it. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah, he was kind of out of it on that one, wasn't? He? Yeah. So, in answer to your question, we don't know. Definitely, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> definitely, maybe. Amazing. He could Spider-Man. also be mourning because he just woke up and found out his best friend is dead. So mm-hmm. that that yeah. that that puts you through the seven stages of grief or whatever, doesn't it? Definitely. Is that a thing? Is it seven? Did I make that up? I think it's five. Five I stages, think, though. That it's not as hard as hard cut as like that theory makes yeah. up. Um, I think the weirdest thing about all of it is Steve's like over attachment to Rick. And like how he waffles back and forth on just what that means for him and for Rick. I think it was more weird how everybody else tried to attach Rick to him. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's really going to take Rick under his wing. And Cap's like, huh? Who's Rick? I don't know. Bucky, look out. Amazing Spider-Man 24 goes mad. 
I read this story long ago in a treasury edition. I'm sure nostalgia is a factor, but I still love it. Peter and Betty by her desk is adorable. The villain images attacking Spider-Man, the upside down rooms, note the fishbowl, yee, Jonah and Flash running, ruining Mysterio's plan. I love it. A different treasury had the Sinister Six issue, so something about seeing the villains again here really worked for me, even with the eerie silence. Hmm. Those images of Doc Ock and Sandman were especially effective to my young eyes. I also didn't mind Fishbowl-less Mysterio as I first knew him from the Spider-Man 67 cartoon. And he was not Fishbowl-y in that? I thought he was. Is no, he part he, of the credits? Yeah, he has um, he has like a, a, a sound wave radio line in his face. He talks, the Fishbowl. He took off his Fishbowl and used it as a Fishbowl in the office. Oh, boy. Yes, he oh did. Oh, my gosh. That's why he said, note the fishbowl, ye. I'm like, okay, cool, a fishbowl. Did it turn upside down and the fish didn't fall out? What? He used his fishbowl as a fishbowl. So it literally is a fishbowl. That's hilarious. Gosh. I want to go reread the comic now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, Spider-Man 67 cartoon where he trapped Spidey in an amusement park and he was a giant, which coincidentally, Tim, is based on Spider-Man 67, the issue number. Because 66 and 67 was a two-part Mysterio story that takes place at the same time as um, Spectacular Spider-Man number two with the Green Goblin. So, um, yeah, just a weird coincidence in numbers there. Tim goes on, but it was actually a giant robot in that cartoon. Mysterio has some serious dough to pay for these revenge plans. If I had that kind of scratch, I'd be retiring somewhere. Guess that's why I'll never be a supervillain. I can't carry a grudge far enough. It does make you wonder sometimes, like, they're robbing a bank with a science fiction tank that must have cost $8 million to make. That's definitely Luthor syndrome right there, right? Right. Now about Amazing Spider-Man 400 and Aunt May knowing Peter is Spider-Man. Forgive the Tim-splaining. The May that died in that issue was retconned to be an actress, brainwashed into believing she was May, including the knowledge of Spidey's identity. When the real May returned, the status quo returned to her not knowing Peter's secret until she discovered in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 235. I have no idea what he's referring to right now. I don't know. I don't know how it came up in our conversation. I do mm. know the story he's talking about, but I don't know how it relates to our conversation that episode. Okay. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 400. So the, that's Clone Saga era. Okay. Um, Clone Saga is kicked off by May having a heart attack and mm -hmm. the Peter Parker clone hearing about it and coming back to see her in the hospital. Oh. And then in issue 400, she dies. Uh -huh. And she tells Peter that she knew he was Spider-Man. Right, we all knew that. Okay. Later on, Norman um, reveals that, or maybe he doesn't reveal, maybe somebody, because they had to bring Aunt May back. Or when, they, when they decide to bring Aunt May back, the explanation that they give is that the Aunt May that died wasn't really Aunt May. Oh, gosh. She was an actress trained to be like Aunt May for to, to mess with Peter's head. Why are we trying to read all these comics? Every time I read, every time I read stories like or hear stories like that, it's like maybe I don't need to be a completist. Maybe I should just focus on some nice runs and be happy. Well, anytime you're going to bring somebody back from the dead, you've got to explain how they didn't die in the first place. <sighs> Nobody ever actually dies in comics because everyone comes back from the dead. Not really, though. Have you ever like been like, oh, you know, Nova's kind of a cool character. I should read more about Nova, and then you put it go on Wikipedia as like a beginning to where you should start reading about Nova. And by the time you're done reading the fictional background you're like forget it i don't want to read anymore about nova <laughs> that was dumb um i do remember the issue 35 uh she walks in on peter 
he has been through the fight of his life and he has passed out on his uh, bed in his Spider-Man I've costume. I've read that too. Yeah. Yeah. That was a JMS thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was with uh, Ezekiel. Was that that guy's name? Right. Yeah. See, I had that trade paperback. That's how it ended. So I think that was the, uh, I think that was the silent issue where she like goes to Jonah and like unsubscribes oh. to, for, to the uh, Daily Bugle. She like secretly does all these quiet things to support Spider-Man now that she knows that her nephew is Spider-Man. Yeah. Anyways, Tim goes on. The later deal with Mephisto to save May's life undid it again. So the retcon was retconned and the unretcon became un-unretconned. Oh my gosh. Okay. But if there was a turning point for May putting the pieces together, I believe the next issue would be it. I'll be interested in what you both think. That's issue 25 with Aunt May and the girls... What happened that's with Peter with that, in that? That's with uh, the, the Spider Slater. Yeah. She finds his costume. Oh, because he had to like ditch his costume, remember? Did she like maybe catch on that he was Spider-Man somehow from that? I'm going to have to go back and look at that again, Tim. I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about there, but um, having there, it secretly in the background that she knows he's Spider-Man would be kind of cool to think about. There, there were some costume shenanigans in that issue, so maybe she caught on or something. Until Peter Parker winds up in a sanitarium, make mine, make ours marvel. That happens. Uh huh. The mad dog world ward. All right. I have recommended read. Is that next? Um, I think Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Recommended read. Nick Poncio, November 30th. Maybe this is the last of November. Love your show. I'm following right along. Homework and all week by week. Awesome. You guys should really check out Howard Chaikin's recent five issue image. Hey, image miniseries called hey kids comics it's pretty much the marvel age of comics saga as interpreted raunchily in chicken's spicy style through a series of flashbacks and time jumps we follow fictitious avatars of stan lee jack kirby steve ditko mary severin roy thomas frank miller todd mcfarland etc it's a great read and a grimy history ri- historic ride in the same vein as amc's Mad Men. i think it'd be right up y'all's alley I love movies about making movies, but I especially love comics about making comics. Give it a spin. I'd love to hear you guys' take on it. Make mine Marvel por vida. So have you heard of this image guy? Uh, well, I've heard of, of Howard Chaikin. He's oh, a sure. long-time comics, but I've not, I don't think I knew what Hey Kids Comics was. I think it's because there's more than one work that uses that title. Um, so if there was a comic miniseries called Hey Kids Comics, I don't think I've heard about that one. Well, there is, because I'm looking at it. So, yeah, now i got to check this out. What's the date on it, the release date? Oh, gosh, I'm just looking at covers. Uh, what are you doing? I don't know. Let's see if it, it says 2019. Oh, that's really recent. That's after his um, more controversial stuff that he did. The history of comics is told by Howard Chaikin. So, basically, okay. yeah, it could be interesting. I'll check that out. All righty. Yeah, that definitely sounds interesting, I think. It would be worth reading. And, you know, if my image show lasts that long, I'll get there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, December 14th versus December 7th. December 7th wins. So it's Tim Price's up. I also have a 13th, but 7 still wins. Okay. Uh, Thor 116, Triathlon. I mean, Trial of the Gods. That sounds like great parenting to me. The next time my daughters argue, I will drop them off in a random location five miles from home. First one back gets ice cream. Other one is grounded. Thank you guys for providing those useful parenting tips. You're welcome, Tim. Oh, he says, no, I'm not doing that. It's horrible. Oh, Oh. (laughs) he was being sarcastic. Uh. I was all feeling proud there for a moment. 
He got us. I remember that fishtail of Thor and the Midgard Serpent. Pretty crazy. A really great YouTube channel, Monarchs Factory, used to have a video telling this story. I think it's gone due to shenanigans. Still, I wanted to give her a channel, give her channel a plug, because I like how she tells the stories of myth. So, Monarchs Factory is a YouTube channel. Monarch, M-O-N-A-R-C-H-S, Factory. So, go check that out. Um, X-Men 11, why were you so surprised that you never saw The Stranger? Dang it, Billy Joel. What? Is that, only a, Billy, is that a Billy Joel song? The only Billy Joel songs I know are the ones on The Greatest Hits album. Piano Man. Yeah. Pressure. Goodnight, Saigon. Anyways. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and how about when he walked through that wall like a phantom? Careful. Phant- phantom Stranger? Did he just... <sighs> Okay. Honestly, seeing Magneto hoisted by his own petard makes me happy, and Wanda slash Pietro finally leaving was dang great. Sorry we won't see them again for a week? Uh-huh. Giant Man versus Whirlwind. I did not really care for this one. It was okay, but very meh. And yeah. to nitpick, in the panels when Hank is trying to shrink, the artwork slowly zooms in on him, which looked to me like he was growing since there wasn't any background to convey that the size was staying the same. That was just a badly done sequence and really turned me off. I remember wow. that, I think. That was one then of those, have, like, the art doesn't match the text kind of deals. Right. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about, like, modern cartoons is a lot of times they'll just zoom in on their artwork, and so mm-hmm. all of the lines get really thick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you drew this at one size, but you want to film it at another. I can mm-hmm. dig that, but wow, my lines are really thick now. Yeah. Um, then we have Whirlwind, who grabs Janet by the wrist and flies away. His power is to spin really fast, but Jan stays in one place. That just... Ugh. Hulk returning from behind the Iron Curtain, leaping from continent to continent. I'm surprised no travel agency has thought to use that. <laughs> I would like to see them try. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that one will go. With the president knowing Banner's secret, was this used in a couple of decades when Banner's mind controlled the Hulk and he got a presidential pardon? Is this a secret passed on from president to president? Here's the closest bathroom to the Oval Office, the best fridge to keep bottles of you who is in the Lincoln bedroom, and Bruce Banner's actually the Hulk. Enjoy leading the free world. I think at some point everybody knows Bruce Banner's the Hulk, so it doesn't really need to be passed on anymore. Um, It seems like it. Yeah, I don't know when we would... He says is this using a couple of decades. So maybe there's another story down the road where they use that. I, don't, I just don't know. What if it's the president that went bad in the 70s that Captain America had to beat up? What if he knows that Bruce Banner is the Hulk? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. The not Nixon guy? Yeah, not Nixon Nixon. I don't know. Could be. Until the Toad impersonates the stranger, make mine make ours marvel. Well, okay. I have Bobby Bermia Cap being a Nazi for on the 13th. Do you have that? I don't, but go for it. All right. It's really short, and I'm not sure what he's talking about, but let's try this. Should the story about Captain America being a Nazi have been stopped? No. But in a world where a writer can change history so that Gwen Stacy had an affair with Norman Osborn, why should anyone assume that some writer's wild hair might not be the new-slash-edgy-slash-controversial story that sends a shockwave through the comic book world and becomes canon? Yeah, I'm a little bitter. What is he talking about? Um, I think whenever we were talking about Captain America working for the Red Skull, we brought up the uh, Secret Empire story from a couple of years ago and how, you know, oh. like when Captain America revealed he was secretly a Nazi and then it wasn't true anymore. He's a Hydra. 
Yeah. Is that the same thing? I guess it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Hydra is basically the Nazis. It it becomes canon at some point that Red Skull manipulated Hydra and into existence. Apparently Gwen Stacy had an affair with Norman Osborn. That's a story called Sin's Past. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard, not from the writer, but from other people, so whether it's true or not, I have heard that Sin's Past was done because JMS did not understand the extent of the retcon that was going to be done in the near future whenever they kind of reset a lot of Spider-Man. And he thought this story would get undone. Uh. So he told an outrageous story, not intending for it to be part of history. Oh, well, someone could still undo it. It's comics. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of shock value that you have to use in commercial art to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to think that most people who use shock value aren't doing things just for shock value. They're thinking they have a big idea and they like the idea that it would get people's attention. Well, I can't say I've read the story, so I shouldn't say like that sounds horrible because, you know, you can make any story good, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it does seem a bit out of character to me. But And I think in the uh, our post-2016 world, uh-huh. um, having the emblem of America reveal himself to be a Nazi is mm. was, was just like completely the wrong time for that to happen. But and that was undone anyway. And you knew that would be undone the minute you read it, right? Right. I mean, the whole world blew up and said, oh, my God, Marvel made Cap a villain. And I'm just like rolling my eyes like, yes, for now, give it a year. He'll be back. If this were 1966, this would be undone like by the next issue or the issue after that. (laughs) Instead, it'll take a year, but that's okay. Yeah. The status quo will come back. It always does. It's like in Superman right now. Uh, Superman has revealed his secret identity to the world. And I'm thinking, okay, probably the other shoe is going to fall eventually. Spider-Man revealed his secret identity to the world. How'd that uh-huh. work out? Exactly. Okay. Now, now Superman's going to have to make a deal with the devil and ruin his marriage. <laughs> and half the people are going to love that and half the people are going to hate it. The writers are going to write, yeah, it's much easier to write Superman when he's single. We really miss that triangle. And you guys Those are all going to groan and go, come on, marriage is more interesting. It's more dramatic. What the heck's the matter with you people? Right? That's going to yep, be the that's fight. A, that, that, that's going to that's that's go. be you, Twitter. You have seen this fight before. I have. Okay, um, I have December thirteenth. The old order changeth. Okay, or if you finish that Bobby one, who's that by? Yeah, that was it. It was short. Okay, short. This bitter. is Tim. <laughs> Tim Price, Avengers: The Old Order wimpeth out. Uh huh. I've seen this issue's classic cover plenty, but long after I knew the gist of the story, it pretty much gives away the new lineup, doesn't it? Showing the current Avengers, the Masters of Evil, and three reluctant villains never seen in this comic book before. I wonder if readers were savvy enough back then to guess the lineup from the cover. Hmm. What was the cover? It's uh, Captain America standing dramatically with a whole bunch of headshots behind him. Oh, okay. Basically your first version of the traditional... Avengers new lineup cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. But he's right. It's all of the heroes, all of the villains they're currently fighting, and three other characters who are not currently <laughs> um, relevant to anything, but who will be very shortly. Uh, who dies in this issue? And there's this picture of a secretary for some reason on the cover. Oh, right. Weird. Is this the triumphant return of the softener? No, no, it is not. The softener. The melter. The melter. Because he doesn't actually melt. No, he just softens. Right. Strange Tales, Torch and Thing against Puppetless Master. <laughs> That's the one with the dolls, where he brings oh the dolls to life, but doesn't even use that in the end. No. 
story. It was banana pants senseless. I still have no idea why the cat was turned into a statue. Seriously. Maybe there's a panel in Alex Ross's Marvels that clears it up. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Probably. Nope. <laughs> Sounds like he went and looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doctor Strange versus Bellatrix Lestrange. Okay. The sorceress's name is Shazana. But like, I like the battle of names for Strange versus Lestrange. Is that is that a RuPaul's Drag Race reference? I have no idea. Bellatrix Lestrange. Or maybe that's... Oh, that's Harry Potter. Of course. Also, Doctor Strange sure doesn't try too hard to learn people's names. He never asks blonde-haired, orange-wearing half-sister's name. He still doesn't know white-haired, pink-wearing, dark dimension least his name. I'm a busy sorcerer. No time for pleasantries. Gotta overthrow another dimension's government before my tea time. Busy, busy. Okay. Uh, he's got a lot to do. He's got a lot to do. He doesn't even know what ethnicity he is. So, <laughs> it's just, it's it's a hard life. Yeah. Well, now I'm wondering if Shazana was a ripoff on Zatanna. She debuted a mere year before this issue. Interesting. Hmm. Oh. Well, she didn't last very long, so. No, didn't say anything backwards either. Until Doctor Strange meets the Wizard of Oz, make mine, make ours Marvel. Uh, okay, Marvel and DC teamed up to do a Wizard of Oz adaptation, but I'm pretty sure Doctor Strange was not in it. You never know. You never Star Trek and Green Lantern have teamed up. At this point, I'm not surprised by anything. This is true. Um, Do you have Bobby's next email? More on 88? Yes. Not more on 88, but more on 88. Uh, This rarely happens. I am the 80th moron. (laughs) This rarely happens, but John, I think you got it wrong on giving Ditko credit for the plot. I don't think Stan was sticking it to Ditko. I also read Marvel, The Untold Story, and if I remember correctly, this was actually Lee's concession to Ditko. Do we know what he's talking about? I don't remember. Um, which Spider-Man issue was on 88? You can figure that out. I'll keep reading. We all know okay. Ditko plotted most of the stories now, but back then, well, it just said written by Stan Lee or stripped, scripted by Stan Lee and drawn by Ditko. Ditko wanted credit for his plots. Stan was trying to keep his artists happy. Pretty sure after this, Ditko is continually credited as plotter. So you must have said something. I don't know what you said. Um, but how did he credit it? Was it snarky or was it sincere? It, I bet you it was snarky. Okay, so this is this is the Jonah robot. Okay, you keep going. Or was that the end of the email? That was the end of the email. Okay, so a little bit of detective work. Because I'm curious. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to do this to argue. I'm just really curious. What kind of credits, if this is the first time Stan Lee is crediting Ditko with the comic. So we're talking about number 25. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man. I'm trying to find it real fast right here. So am I. Let's see who wins. There's 26. I got it. Credit is sturdily Steve Ditko dreamed up the plot of this tantalizing tale, and it's full of unexpected surprises. So turn the page and see if you can guess what's coming next. Okay. So was that, that the first time he did that? Maybe it was. And that seems like it might be sincere. It does not sound like there's any inbuilt snark on that. So yeah, I'll, I will I will definitely take an L on that. If you said that. Yeah. You must have, I guess. I don't know. Right. See, kids, we read these so slow that like, we don't know what you're talking about. It. So if you could write something like, John, when you said such and such and such, you're wrong. That would be better because then we could be like, yeah, John, you're wrong. But now it's just I, more like, I don't know what John said that's wrong. So maybe he wasn't. Or he we, was. are trying to get, we are trying to get caught up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. context is always helpful. That's one of those, sometimes my problem with some of the comics I'm covering over on All the Pouches mm-hmm. is that there's just not enough context to give them from issue to issue. Hmm. Um, okay, now my clicker's not responding. So let's see. December 15th? 
Um, John Morrissey. Okay. Yeah. Had trouble getting to it for some. John Morrissey, this is episode 86 of The Child of the Gods. Mm hmm. All right. Oh, no. Dear. It's a bad start. Uh, it's a bad start. Go ahead. Dear formerly flawless podcasters. <gasps> What's that? I don't Formerly flawless? I think we That's should That's right, stop. John and Michael. You both have been flawless for 85 episodes, not counting your many not comic specials, wherein you also are flawless. Always entertaining. Always funny. Always insightful and interesting. Always pointing out important tidbits from these Marvel comics that I've always missed, even though I've read them many times. But now, while summarizing, reviewing, and discussing The Trial of the Gods and Journey into Mystery 116, you both let me down big time. Dang. Before I listened to this episode, I was certain that if you'd clarify or at least headcanon a problem that I've had with this issue for decades. But no, <laughs> neither of you mentioned my concern at all. Could it be that I'm so dumb and that the solution to my concern is so obvious that you couldn't bring yourself to waste 15 seconds discussing my problem with this issue? Yes, that's highly likely. Yes. <laughs> I'm just having lots of fun with John's email here. <laughs> but just in case it slipped your mind, here is my concern about and confusion over Journey into Mystery 116. In the issue, Odin knows that either Thor or Loki is lying to him. To determine which son is fibbing, he instructs them to a race through a gauntlet of death without any weapons. Clearly, the one who finishes first is not lying. How does this make sense? How does finishing first in a deadly foot race to prove that a person is not lying? How did neither of you bring up this concern? What am I missing? Um, I, I have an answer for that, but you go ahead. Okay. I think my answer is you need to re-listen to the episode because I am almost positive we talked about that. No? I feel like it went through my head. I, I would have brought up on the episode. Maybe I forgot to. It went, definitely went through my head also. Maybe I didn't say it out loud. I don't know. But it's it's the whole, like, let the gods determine through a physical, you know, contest. If... If the gods are on the side of right, then the gods will favor whoever wins a contest. That's, that's Except they are the gods. Except they are the gods, which is another thought that I had in my mind. And again, I may, not, I may have only thought this while reading it, but never actually said it out loud in the show. I was wondering, who are the gods of the gods? Who would be the upper level powers on the side of right in Thor's and Loki's contest? Probably some parents they killed in some lore somewhere. Right. Well, Odin has parents, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the soul of Bor and well, maybe it's in a future episode that we talk it out loud because I know I swear we talked about how bonkers it was, and on top of that, like making it a physical contest between Thor and Loki just seems horribly unfair to begin with. And Loki cheats anyway, especially yeah, and Loki cheats anyway. But on top of that, if he didn't cheat, how could he possibly win that contest against Thor? You know, so it's just a weird way to determine anything. And there is um, no there is no uh, no prize to figure that one out. I don't think. Yeah, I don't – it's one of those things I honestly don't know how much actually happened in history and in actual cultures versus it's a storytelling trope, but it is definitely a storytelling trope. Mm -hmm. um, John says, although I'm a bit disappointed in my podcast heroes, I will definitely listen to the next 200 episodes or so oh, to ensure that you have plenty of time to redeem yourselves. That's right. 200 more episodes at the minimum. Your legions of fans are wow. counting on you. That made me really tired. <laughs> 286 episodes oh my gosh and so until you discuss new mutants 25 the first episode of legion maker us marvel oh ah, i would love to discuss new mutants i bet that'd be super fun it would be super fun we are never getting there but that'd be really cool not with this podcast if we change format that's a whole other question 
Yeah. Okay. I've got to reload my email screen because it's, it's messing up on me. So what do we have next? John Morrissey, best title ever, December 15th. Michael and John, you've outdone yourself. That's his total John credit, I'm saying, because I don't come up with these titles. He does, and they are hilarious. Domo Arigato, Jonah Roboto. (laughs) (laughs) Best episode title ever. Nuff said, with the title this good, I bet that the episode itself is going to be great. I better stop typing and start listening until Agatha Harkness's cat mistakes Sandman for a litter box. Okay, I know that Johns never happen, but they're fantastic. Uh huh. That I love would be the idea of really saving getting peed on by a cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that was good. Thank you. I, w- I was proud of that one. I appreciate that it was appreciated. Yeah, that um, was good. Was that? <laughs> that was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our next website comment is not until the twentieth, so our email on the thir- on the sixteenth. Uh-huh. Ben Grimm thirty nine. Yep, that's what I got. Message says, I think oh, this is from Bobby Bermea. I think the reason you didn't have the note of Ben's elation over becoming human oh. is because it wasn't a choice. What was great about this character, especially in this era, was that he didn't feel definitively one way or the other. He didn't just want to be human. He was worried about whether or not Alicia loved him that way. Also, something I don't think he was nearly talked about enough is that he didn't want to give up the power. I mean, heck, it's the thing he could do amazing things. As Ben Grimm, he might have felt like he was just a guy. He has definitely waffled back and forth on whether he wants to be the thing or not, for sure. Right. And I'm not sure how much we've talked about that, but I've had that thought, too, that, like, you know, people are complex. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with a situation, sometimes you're okay with it. Sometimes you really hate it. Sometimes you really like it. You can can go back and forth. Emotions don't have to be constant. Right. Um, But the choice thing is big. If Reed and Ben are in the lab trying to make this work and you finally succeed... That's one thing. But if you're just stripped of what on one level is a truly extraordinary gift, your first reaction is going to be to fight to get back that which made you special, in my opinion. Yeah, I could go with that. That works. I, I Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things that the story could easily go either way because, again, humans are complex. Mm-hmm. I don't think you necessarily have to have a character fight for that thing that he just lost, but it's understandable that he might They had just gotten out of a fight, which, as you pointed out, they lost, and then they get attacked again. There was very little time to be grateful you were a normal guy and had to get a job and pay bills like other schlubs. (laughs) Um, All right. So you want to do Tim Price? Episode 88? Yeah. Tales. Okay, this is December 20th. We're almost there for the end of the year. Merry Christmas. Tales of Suspense, number 66. John saying, it's not a tumor. Cracks me up every time. Consider Atuma, like, you know, Namer's bad guy. Considering the change in headliners coming soon in Tales to Astonish, I'm starting to wonder if the bullpen wanted to build some buzz around an antagonist for Namer, or if they just wanted a not-Namer villain for undersea stories. Hmm. Well, they haven't used him yet, but yeah, maybe they're trying to keep him in the light so we don't forget about him or something. Uh, Red Skull's Origin. I'm really grateful that you guys know so much about Golden Age Cap stories. To give some context here, it's been fun and saves me the work of reading for myself since I'm barely keeping up with the issues covered by this show as is. So very comics. That said, Tim, you totally should read at least the first 10 issues because they're really awesome. After that, you can stop. Uh, But now, Cap's a Nazi. They've changed him forever. This sort can't possibly get undone and forget about. Nope, no way, no how. Waits one month. Oh, never mind. (laughs) <laughs> I guess we talked about Cap as being a Nazi in that issue, in that episode, huh? All right. That's well, the Red Skull origin and then goes to Captain America getting um, 
taken over by Red Skull. That's right. FF number 39 plus Daredevil. Ben not spending one moment being happy to be human. What the freak? Not a bit of y'all can keep being superheroes if you want to. I'm going to go party and smooch Alicia and be awesome. So there we go. Different opinion. Yeah, it's a different opinion. And I'm thinking back to the story, and there was definitely some passage of time. Like, they were trapped on the island. They were in the ocean. They came back on a boat. They had time to think about their situation. I think the problem was is he had no opinion one way or the other. Yeah. Like, if he said, I really wish I had my thing powers back because I feel so weak and helpless now, I'd buy that. If he you said, are so right. If he said, I'm really glad I'm Ben because I get to be with Alicia now, I'd be fine with that too. But it was neither. No comment on something that's very – he's usually opinionated about. One so way he's being maneuvered by the plot. He is mm-hmm. not having agency to, in his situation. Mm-hmm. Um, dang, DV just in, DD just in time to fight DD. That's a lot of Ds. What? Daredevil and Dr. Doom. Oh, okay. Spider-Man. And also Reed's and Ben's and Johnny's D's. That's right. <laughs> Spider-Man number 25. This issue was glorious. I've read this story before, and it's just as great as ever. The Benny Hills chase scene, Betty and Liz meeting Mary Jane. That was freaking hilarious. Peter getting hoisted by his own petard, and the Jonah robot. Just to be clear, Steve Ditko envisioned a telepresent robot 45 years before they became a reality. Holy crap. Now I'm terrified to ever see a telepresent robot in action. I'll be expecting Jonah's face to appear and hear, get back to work, or I'll sick my coils on you. Ah. That's amazing. I love that Steve Ditko has this like little tidbit of future technology that actually happened. Until next time, or until Telejonah faces off against the She-Hulk. The who? Make mine. Make ours marvel. No, the who's not out yet. This is 1966. Aren't they? Yeah, they're probably not. I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to play off the thing. <laughs> Pretty close to being out if they're not yet. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, so Bobby, make ours Marvel X-Men 11. Yay. The last four panels on page three of X-Men 11 really underscore one of the great strengths of the Lee-Kirby partnership. Humor. The tough-talking old lady renting the place to the stranger is hilarious. Lee's dialogue and Kirby's drawing are in perfect sync, and their timing is impeccable. I first read the story as a kid and cracked up at the third panel. Well, now, aren't you the bright boy? As she crosses her arms, and that expression on her face is perfect. I personally will always be sorry it didn't work out better for the two of them because they were a great team. Mm -hmm. The stranger and, and the old lady... (laughs) <laughs> I know, Lee and Kirby. Lee yeah, and Kirby. Lee and Kirby, probably. <laughs> My brain does weird things. <laughs> okay, that was short, so I can read the next one if you like. Okay, go ahead. Um, 89. Ooh, Batman. Yeah. It's hilarious when John's like, if you want the show to continue, we need 100 emails. And I'm like, she, I got that covered, son. And I'd swear John heard my thought from 100 different unique people. (laughs) Uh, Curses, foiled again. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a very real question. I only ask because you guys, it seems, are serious about leaving one day. Oh, okay. Um, If I could find a partner. Okay. He's actually seeing about taking over, to take over the show bobby we will we will have that discussion with you if it ever becomes an actual concern we were totally just joking and just being silly about episode 100 so that's fine but thank you for thinking about it, the idea that'd be pretty cool at some time at some point we might die so it, right. will, it will end eventually but yeah who knows when oh and then we have a bunch of these from 
Should I just read all the John ones real fast? Because there's yeah. Okay, so John peppered us on December twenty second. I guess on one of our episodes we said you all had to. We needed one hundred unique letters to tell us to keep doing the show, or we were going to stop the show with episode one hundred. So John wrote, "Dear John and Michael, your wish is my command." You'd like 100 individual requests to continue recording episodes after episode 100? You got it. Here's my request. I hope you get many, many more. And then the next one was, Dear guys, I need you to continue recording after episode 100. If you stop, the Yancey Street Gang and me will murderize you, Ben Grimm. Please continue to record after you reach episode 100. It's the American thing to do. Steve Rogers, I cannot see in quotes why you'd stop recording your fine show when you reach episode 100 as you can imagine audio podcasts are a favorite of mine sincerely matt murdoch i sincerely hope that you continue to keep recording your fine show after episode 100 after all it's one of the few american podcasts that are available internationally wakanda forever king t'challa who's that uh although i have no way to force you to field my request Ouch. I sincerely hope that you consider to produce Make Ours Marvel after you reach episode 100. Although your listeners seem to be invisible, I assure you that we are here. Susan Storm. Mm. I sure hope that I can find a way to persuade you to continue recording your wonderful show after you reach episode 100. Yours, Philip Masters. I sure hope that I can find a way to persuade you to continue recording your wonderful show after you reach episode 100. Yours, Jason Wingard. (laughs) I sure hope... Okay, ditto. Yours, uh, Zebediah Kilgrave. Please paste this note on your refrigerator. Don't let your great show go to pot after episode 100. For Pete's sake, Peter Petruski. (laughs) What? Am I crying over the thought of your show ending? No, I'm not. Honest. I must have a grain of sand in my eye. That's all. William Baker, a.k.a. Flint Marco. Sirs, I will be succinct and unequivocal. Doom demands that you continue to record Make Ours Marvel after you hit episode 100. Love, Victor. Dear John and Michael, to be clear, you're saying that you require 100 quests to keep your show going after episode 100. No worries. I've got you covered right after I slap myself 99 times. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'll start typing a note to you. Jamie Madrox. Madrox. Hi, guys. Please consider recording your show after episode 100 because I love it so much. How much do I love it? Well, I spend so many hours sitting motionless while I listen to your episodes over and over that I've got cobwebs hanging from my armpits. Peter Parker. Michael and John, it isn't much of a stretch to say that legions of fans will be heartbroken if you stop recording your amazing show once you reach episode 100. Reed Richards. Boy, I shouldn't have agreed to do this. Uh, Michael and John, it isn't such a stretch to say that. Okay, it's ditto. Dave Haller. Ditto, Tony Stark. Verily, my own happiness rests on your desire to record after episode 100. May I request the inestimable boon that you continue to record until the Odin's word doth cleave your realm in twain. Thor Odin's sword. Odin's sword. That's what it says. Michael and John, let's cut the chase. Of course, I do not need you to continue recording after episode 100 because I have already created a mirror universe wherein you are currently covering all the issues that were released on October 1st, 1996. Nevertheless, I prefer the original version of your show, Franklin Richards. Um, and that was it. I don't okay. know if that was 100, so we should have stopped. But That was that was a fantastic bit of effort. Yes, it was. Uh, very, very, very great. And I think it's going to be time to end on that note. It's a pretty great note to end on. Um, oh, yeah. Because we have quite so, a few Decembers left. There are still a few Decembers left, but um, we do need to wrap up. Uh, so there's another episode out there. You should go listen to it. 
Um, and I, w- I never know how to end these things. How about we just say thanks for the letters, write more, and we are going to catch up and we'll be more on uh, topical in the future. Yeah. Um, all the ways to write us are the usual podcast at makersmarvel.com, contact form on the uh, website, or put a comment on the website and leave us an iTunes review. Those Yay. are all the great ways to get us. Yep. And thanks for everybody who's already submitted. Yes, we are, we are getting through. We are burning through the mailbag. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye.